Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the WM32 Football Podcast. I'm your host, Nelson, for today. I'm joined by Wes, and today we are going to be doing a recap of the January transfer window. Today is the 2nd of February uh, 2021. The transfer window closed last night uh, at 11 p.m., and today on this episode, myself and Wes will be doing a recap and discussing the winners and losers of this transfer window. Now, before we get started, just a reminder, please follow us on all our social media platforms at WM32Football. And do not forget that the shop is now live and direct. So as you can see, Wes is showcasing the merchandise. If you'd like to get your WM32Football merchandise, then please visit us at WM32Football.com slash shop. So January transfer window. As I said, uh, the transfer window closed at 11 p.m. last night. Uh, normally deadline day, is full of intriguing and blockbuster deals. We didn't see a lot of that uh, last night, and you could even argue during the whole transfer win- uh, during the whole January transfer window, there wasn't a lot of blockbuster deals. So, uh, before we get started, just to give you a quick overview uh, that uh, in terms of spending, uh, the top five leagues uh, spent uh, deals worth over two hundred and sixty million pounds, uh, and the Premier League alone. Uh, clubs spent at least 84 million pounds, which is not a lot compared to past transfer windows, uh, but we look forward and we move on. So just to get us started, uh, Wes, uh, in terms of the January transfer window, before we kind of delve into the winners and losers, uh, what's your kind of overview of the the whole transfer window in January? Um, I think the sort of January transfer window in itself... um, I think it can be too much of a distraction um, for clubs and players. Um, you know, obviously the fixture schedule is manic during during January. Um, you know, games coming thick and fast, um, and I think clubs trying to build momentum. Um, but then, you know, managers in press conferences constantly getting asked about transfer activity um, and things like that. Players you know, looking at perhaps getting unsettled during during that sort of month period um, as well, because they might be being touted for a move away um, or things like that. But those figures that you mentioned there don't really surprise me too much, given the circumstances that we're in um, with the pandemic um, and whatnot. Obviously, I think there's been a lot more loan deals uh, this time around than probably ever to be honest um and that's probably why you get that that premier league spend anyway of 84 84 million um there so yeah but i think january in as a transfer window you know on the whole it's mainly i think uh, i was listening to nigel pearson yesterday um and and he said it's more for for those clubs that are trying to sell players really um and obviously, sort of clubs lower down the lower down the the bottom end of any sort of league table, really. Um, you know, they're the ones that have got to try and do something to try and get themselves out of where they are. Um, but I think with the Premier League, especially, like if there was a closer gap, I think between the bottom three and you know maybe the three clubs above them in the league table, I think we'd have perhaps seen a little bit more activity um, from those clubs. Um, so yeah, that's just my that's just my view on 
on the January transfer window as as a whole, really. Um, and, and this one in, in particular, I uh, don't know about you um, and don't know if you had anything else on it, to be fair. Um, I never get really excited when it comes to the January transfer window. Like you said, I think it's more focused on getting players out the door, depending on obviously the club situation. As you said as well, regarding the pandemic, I think this is one of the lowest kind of spent transfer windows that we've had in recent memory. So it's completely understandable why we have figures as low as 84 million, um, uh, especially from the Premier League alone, um, which is known for its spending power um, as well. So um, I'm not too surprised. One thing I did want to ask is, uh, it's, it's something that just came to me, came to mind right now in regards to the January transfer window and how I think there's been argument in regards to how sometimes it should potentially be scrapped and how le uh, leagues should just have one huge, obviously, summer window and just work from there from the entire season. What's your view on that? I wanted to kind of get your opinion on that. Do you think that's something that it could potentially happen in the future? Would it be fair for teams if they all just committed to having one big summer window and then forgetting January and just working from having one window each season? Um, it's quite interesting, actually, because I think it wasn't until we had almost sort of two transfer windows. You could almost sort of buy players when you wanted, really. Um, and then I think they've tried to, you know, stop that and go, right, these are your two windows to operate in. If you haven't got what you need, then that's that's that. I think... I think if you're going to have a a transfer window in mid-season, I think, I know a lot of leagues around the world have them. Uh, obviously, the Premier League tried to introduce it, had it last season, but then I think due to the pandemic, it's not really happening this time around, but a winter break. Um, so I yeah. think if the... If the window, if the winter window coincided with the with the winter breaks, I don't think it would be as bad. Um, but because you know, const, you know, as I said earlier, those teams that are constantly playing all the time, like you know, you're looking at the Premier League. It seems like teams are playing every three, three or four days at the moment. Um, obviously, yeah. I, know, I know playing catch up um, with the fixtures, but you know how. How unsettling is it perhaps for a player when they're maybe just in and out of the team a little bit, you know, rumours that they're going here, there and everywhere um, and, and things like that. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't scrap it. Um, yeah. I'd maybe just look at tweaking other areas um, of the fixture calendars um, to, to make sure that players are a bit more settled. Um, and obviously, I know that managers and coaches, you know, they don't particularly like talking about um, players from from other clubs, um, you know, out of out of respect. So, yeah, I think if there's say a, a a break in the season, you know, even if it is that month break, but if you have the winter break, say in the middle of the window, then I don't think it will be I don't think it will be as hectic or as frantic, perhaps as as it would be. Yes, you'll probably get some clubs that will do business early and some that will do business late. I think that's going to happen. That happens in the summer window anyway. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, if you had that break in the middle, it's almost like, right, you know, we've had these, say, two weeks, for example, whereby, okay, what do we need? You know, clubs assessing their squads, say, at the start of the, start of the window or just before the window, and it's like, right, 
two weeks then right now we're having a break right what is it that we actually and then in that last say week of the window they can you know look to try and get um players in into the building that that they feel that they need yeah uh i i i'm i really like your your argument on that um I think one thing that you brought up to mind, especially, is the thing that how obviously the most the most common thing that the other four leagues share uh, is the winter break. So, like you said, I think it was a trial that happened last season. Somewhat worked, somewhat didn't. Um, you can make the argument that you know for the players' case, it helps for rest, but for you know for us as fans and uh, broadcasters that lose out on you know money not being able to broadcast those games you could argue that the Premier League kind of needs that congested fixture schedule even though you see you know this season Jurgen Klopp has really voiced his opinion regarding you know the fixtures fixture list being really congested enough I think I'm not sure if he's even got fined for that but it's something that you constantly hear come out of you know his um his in, uh, his press conferences um so as we kind of look deep in the transfer window Wes um we want to obviously discuss the winners and losers of this transfer window for 2021. So we'll begin first on the winner's side. In terms of who you think, either as a club or player, who do you think has won this January transfer window? Uh, Premier League-wise, this is going to kill me because I think Arsenal have done the best business in this window. Um, it's, all, it's been a common theme for Arsenal over the last few windows that they need to get Deadwood out of the building for yeah. one reason or another that has not happened until this particular window um i think you know most of my mates are, are arsenal fans and you know i see a lot of them saying about players that aren't good enough the likes of kalazinach mustafi socrates um and 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 obviously with the ozil situation i think Arteta and the guys at the board there at Arsenal have done brilliantly well to get the Ozil situation finally resolved because I think that was that was a situation that wasn't doing anybody any favours. Um, yeah. And it became a bit of a joke. It was almost that, well, when Arsenal lost, why aren't you playing Mesut Ozil? Why aren't you play- where's Mesut Ozil? Where's Mesut Ozil? Um, instead of where's Wally, it was where's Mesut Ozil kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so... Um, yeah, obviously getting that resolved, fantastic. Ozil's happy because he's now at a club that he supported as a boy. Um, so both clubs there or both parties there, the, the real winners with that one. Mustafi getting out the door. Um, don't know how Arsenal have managed to do that, but I think every <laughs> Arsenal fan is absolutely buzzing. Um, I think every sort of rival fan is now a bit disappointed because it was just funny just watching Mustafi uh, defend and then you question how the guys won a World Cup um, Kalazinac going out the door I think that's uh, another good bit of business I don't think he was good enough uh, for Arsenal um, my only worry is now is that you're playing say Cedric Suarez out of position um, and now you know you may lost a little bit of cover there defensively but you know is it is it a case of right we'll get the player out the door that's not good enough and then we'll deal with the cover if, as and when we need it. Um, Socrates going out the door, I, I mean, that was a bit of a, a strange signing for me in the first place. But, um, you know, I think Arsenal fans quickly worked out he wasn't that great. Um, and it was good to, again, get him out the door. Um, and then sending two kind of young players out on on loan in, in Willock and, and Maitland-Niles. Um, 
I think both in their time at Arsenal um, have really been in and out of the side. Like they've not had that consistent run of games. I do feel a little bit for Maitland-Niles because he came through Arsenal's academy as a central midfield player and then all of a sudden he comes into the first team and he's playing completely out of position as a as a fullback or as a wingback. Um, so I do sort of feel for him in that respect. Now he's almost being tarnished with this fullback wingback role when actually he wants to play in midfield. Um, so, but I think, and I think that's why West Brom have got in ahead of a couple of other clubs because they want him to play in midfield and they feel he will give them what they need in, in that midfield area. Um, and the signing of Odegaard um, as well on loan for, for Arsenal was, you know, he's a, he's a fantastic player, um, you know, will provide Arsenal with, with what they need towards that top end of the pitch. And, and you know, the Arsenal fans that I know were, were, were buzzing that they've managed to get him uh, in the door, uh, even if it is another player from Real Madrid on, on work experience. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that Arsenal for me, Premier League wise, you know, it pains me to say it, but I think they've probably done the best business in the window. Um, just in terms of, as I said, getting players out the door um, that you would look at and go, well, they've tried to shift them for a bit of a bit of a long time, and nobody's really taken them. Um, yeah. So to finally get them out is all right. It's you know uh, probably better late than never, but at least they've done it now, and now they can forward plan um, for the summer to then strengthen accordingly. Um, as you know, me being an Arsenal fan myself, you know, where's um, I was, yeah, excited for this transfer window when everything was done. I think it was really good that you touched on the points regarding the young players and Joe Willock and Maitland-Niles. Maitland-Niles, I think, is now 23 years old. So I wouldn't consider him a young player anymore. I think mm. there's a certain limit that you get to once you go over that age, you're not considered a young player anymore. And that's the problem we have as Arsenal fans. We still see a player that was brought in through the hell and the academy. And they may be 24 years old, but we still see them as a young prospect. So I think... Maitland-Niles is now obviously a grown man himself. He's somehow, somehow got, you know, call-ups to the England squad. But he's seen, I think one thing that I give credit to him is that he's seen the opportunity that, OK, if I've been able to get in this England squad, playing bit part Arsenal, what can I do potentially starting regular games for West Brom? So it will be interesting to see, like you said, his um, how Sam Allardyce uses him. I think, yeah, West Bromwich album want to use him in midfield. So... I think we might see the best of Maitland Niles yet. Um, Joe Willock is someone that I've had, you know, 50-50 opinion on um, because he has a, a, he reminds me a bit of the Aaron Ramsey type, box to box, has that energy. Um, but it's just, again, that consistent run of games or whenever he's been called up to the starting lineup, he doesn't seem to produce in those moments when Arteta's entrusted him uh, to start. Um, again, with Erdogan, like you said, Madrid, work experience, um, we're just going to have to wait and see because I'm even worried that it could be a Denis Suarez situation where he just doesn't play at all or doesn't get any games. But um, a lot of Arsenal fans have been arguing, does this stunt the growth of Emil Smith-Rowe? I don't think so. I think it provides more competition for him. It actually gives him more rest too because I think since the Boxing Day game we played against Chelsea, we won 3-1 and he's pretty much played every game since. Like you said, congested fixture list two or three days or three, two to four days when we're playing games, I think Smith will definitely need that rest. Um, so Arsenal, yes, they've done a good window. Again, I don't know how we've got some of the players that we've had at yeah. the door. 
Um, I'm really happy for Ozil because, you know, I was, I fell in love with him when he first joined Arsenal and that signing in particular in that decade, that last decade, I think signalled uh, a change in Arsenal's transfer approach because we were never known for spending that kind of money on a world-class player like Mesut Ozil. And then you've seen us brought in the likes of Lacazette for 52 million, Aubameyang for nearly 60 million. Uh, and then we have obviously, we don't want to get into Nico Rath, you know, Nico Pepe, but you know, um, 72 million. It just kind of shows that Arsenal are now not afraid to make that jump in spending that kind of money. But um, yeah, we wish him farewell um, for me as a personal Arsenal fan. But um, yeah, so like you said, Arsenal, one of the winners of the transfer window. One thing I wanted to bring up quickly is I think... Before yesterday, I wouldn't have seen this side as a winner. But after the quick signings that they made, I think we can, I can personally count Liverpool in there because they had to buy defensive cover. I think Matip has been now confirmed to be out for the rest of the season. So Liverpool needed to go and make those signings. Uh, with my trusted uh, laptop here, it's um, Ben Davies from Preston and Ozzy. Uh, Ozan Kabak came from Schalke to defensive cover. So I think Liverpool, before yesterday, you would have considered them a loser because they didn't, you know, work on that. But I think um, uh, they kind of brought in the defensive cover they needed. But we'll have to wait and see whether these players obviously are able to provide um, that security in defence. Because obviously we know they're not the likes of Virgil van Dijk, who I'm sure we know Liverpool have missed throughout the entire season. They've obviously gone through a run of form now. I think the last four or five games where... Um, even before they scored against you guys against Tottenham, they hadn't scored a Premier League goal for five games. So that in itself was shocking, considering how well they performed last season and absolutely destroyed the league. But um, I wanted to get your opinion regarding Liverpool's kind of business. Um, yeah, I think going into deadline day, I think everybody was worried for Liverpool, as you mentioned there, sort of lack of defensive cover. Um, I think they knew about Matip. Um, I think they knew that he would be out for the rest of the season and that's why they bought two. I think they were in the market for maybe one, but then once they found out about Matip, it was like, no, go and get two. Um, I think they were on a very, very tight budget to get some defensive cover in. The fact they've managed to do it and still have some change to spare by all accounts, you have to applaud uh, the guys doing the deals over at Liverpool for that. Um, ben Davis, uh, a lot of talk about him, obviously, in the last sort of couple of days. Um, you know, looks, from what I've seen, a very, very good centre-back. Um, everybody's been talking him up, saying he could quite easily play in the Premier League. Um, but I think, again, there's one thing, mate, there's one thing saying that a player is ready to play in the Premier League, but then, you know, you're talking about the Premier League champions here in Liverpool. Like, the, there's yeah. standards that that, you know, that need to be, met and, and, and maintained throughout your your time there. Um, good thing for Ben Davis, though, he's left-footed. Um, will give a, a good balance to to that Liverpool defence. Uh, good range of passing. Um, is very, very comfortable on the ball, very accomplished, can bring it out um, as well. So that one astute sign, I think he was literally, it was a case of dotting the eyes and crossing the T's for him to go to Celtic on a pre-contract because his contract was up in the summer. Um, but I'm sort of looking at it from Preston's perspective and going, well, if if everybody's talking up uh, a talent that you've got, why have you let the player get into this part of his contract? Like, why haven't you perhaps pushed for for him to extend his stay? 
Um, yeah. You know, obviously he may have rejected a contract uh, with Preston. He may have felt like it was time to move on, but I think he's he's pretty much sort of come through that and he's had a few few sort of loan spells here and there as well. But yeah, it just seemed a bit of a strange one for me from a Preston perspective to let somebody so highly thought of and so highly regarded go, um, you know, for... For, for so cheap. I know they would have lost him in for a free anyway, so they're probably grateful that they could get that fee um, for him. Uh, in terms of Kabak, I think he was linked with a few clubs in the summer. Um, you know, I think David Wagner, the ex-Schalke coach, talked him up to, to Jürgen and that was sort of the deal breaker for Jürgen yeah. to sort of go and sign him. Um, but, you know, Schalke are, are down there. Uh, in the Bundesliga. Um, yes. So, yeah. Well, now the fact they've got Kolasinac and Mustafi, it's going to be interesting <laughs> to, see how, to see how that works. Um, but I think Kabak's been um, touted as, again, another really, really good young defender. Um, there doesn't seem to be many of those about. So I think the fact Liverpool potentially have brought in two of yeah. you know, in that category, I think speaks volumes. Um so, and I think there's an option to buy uh, for Liverpool on that on that loan deal as well for about 20 million or something. Um, so, yeah, that could be that could be um, a good one there. I don't know if Matip is going to stay at Liverpool much longer. I think. Yeah. I don't know if Klopp's sort of running out of patience with him because he can't trust him. He can't rely on him at all. Um, yeah, I think. But then I think with Liverpool. And one of my really, really good friends is a Liverpool fan. And I used to just say to him all the time, he'd go like, oh, we ain't got any centre-backs. And I said, well, what about what about the two young lads? Give them a go. Like, I think Klopp has done it sparingly. Um, but, you know, I think he definitely wanted to have to play one of them alongside a more experienced player, um, as opposed to just playing them both together. Um, but I, I do sometimes think, what's the point in having academies um, and having almost top performing academies when there's no real pathway then into the first team. Obviously, we've seen that yeah. in years gone by with Chelsea and, and even City to a certain degree. Um, so, yeah, it just felt for me like, well, you've got Phillips and Williams and even Seth Vanderberg, who's gone to Preston on loan. It's yes, part, yeah. of the, part of the Ben Davis deal. So it's like we've got three centre-backs there. Yeah, they're young, but give them a go. You never know you know, what might happen. You've really got nothing to lose because, you know, if they play well, then you've got another another good option. If if they lose, you can sort of put it down to inexperience and the fact they're still they're still learning the game. But I don't think Klopp wanted to take that particular risk, you know, from an outsider looking in. Um but it seems like he's got more senior cent those two those two that are coming in seem more senior centre backs now. Um and like I say, with, with Ben Davis being left footed as well, I think that will help. That will help massively. So, yeah, you have to sort of put Liverpool up there because they've yeah. got what they needed. Um, yeah. And I think I think that's that's uh, that's always a good sign when a club can get what they need in a in a transfer window. Well said. Um, we we'll have to, like you said, we we'll have to wait and see if the defensive cover uh, will push them up the table because they currently sit fourth right now. Um, last they want to a uh, 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 won their last two games. Um, and yeah, we'll have to see from there. I think they also got uh, Minamino has also gone on loan to Southampton as well. So you could argue that's a good bit of business for him to get more Premier League experience for them to come back and then kick on in the summer. So 
uh, yeah, Arsenal, Liverpool are, are winners uh, of the window. We'll come, we'll come back to the winners section in a bit, but we'll now look at the losers uh, side of the transfer window. Uh, Wes, is there any club or player you think that has lost out in the transfer window and actually didn't take advantage of it? Um, I think the kind of obvious one that screams out, unfortunately, for a lot of people is Delhi. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say he's lost out um, to a certain degree, like, because it's not, you know, he didn't sort of have a move and then it broke down. Yeah. By the sounds of it, he, he wanted to go to PSG. PSG wanted Delhi, but the decision maker, Daniel Levy at Tottenham, didn't want Delhi to go. So, um, yeah, he's, I think, you know, there's a lot of Spurs fans that are asking, you know, how's Delhi not getting in the team? Well, he's injured at the minute, so that's probably why. Um, but, um, yeah, I think at the same time, I think you're looking at his situation now and you're going, I think there was a lot of Spurs fans that just wanted him to go and, and play. Um, but the thing is, when I've had this discussion with a lot of Spurs fans yeah. uh, and seen it on, on social media and it's like they're clamming for, you know, they're championing Delhi to play. But if you see them putting down their, their what they feel is Tottenham's strongest 11, Delhi doesn't feature. So you can't have it both ways. Um, I think, yeah, he's, he's probably lost out in the sense that, you know, he's not been playing regularly for Tottenham, as we all know. Um, obviously, Euros at the end of end of the season. So, um, yeah, I think it was potentially an opportunity for Delhi to go. But ultimately, uh, the decision maker at, at Tottenham, Daniel Levy, didn't want him to go and wants him to fight for his place. So I think now it's important that he's got a... He's got to accept that his move hasn't happened um, and that he's got to, you know, fight uh, tooth and nail to get himself back into back into the Tottenham fold when he's when he's fit. Because there's no doubt that he's a he's a talented player um, and one that, you know, Tottenham miss, um, which I think is the is the the strangest thing, because it, in times it, like within games, we miss Delhi, but we he's like, well, he's not playing or he's not in the squad or anything like that but it's like well we miss him and we can see that we're missing him but something's happened behind the scenes between him and him and Mourinho so you know from my perspective as a Spurs fan I'd love that to get resolved and I'd love to see Delhi back um, playing in a Spurs shirt um, a club that I think well I was a bit surprised they didn't do anything really in, in January was Sheffield United um, the fact that they are cut adrift at the bottom I don't know if that played into their into their thinking where they go, look, we're we're miles off. Um, we'll just ride it off and, and plan for the championship. But I thought they'd give it a bit of a go. Yeah. Um, I thought they'd maybe get one or two in just to try and give the the place a bit of a lift. Um, obviously we spoke about um Sheffield United and Chris Wilder a few weeks back. Um, often wondered what they would do, but um yeah, it just seems a bit a bit strange that they're sort of accepting defeat, uh, yeah. which hasn't been Sheffield United's way in in recent times. So, um, yeah, like I say, that was a, that was the strange one for me. Sheffield United not doing anything, considering how far off. Well, say considering how far off they are, but you'd like, like I say, you'd like to think they'd have given it a go and and um, and tried to to do something. Um, yeah. to try and give them a bit more of a fighting chance. Um, I think as well, I wouldn't say a surprise, I wouldn't say a loser, but uh, a club that I think potentially might have, might need to be mentioned is Burnley. 
Um, yeah. Obviously, with their their takeover um, that has happened, it, it kind of seems like the owners are still getting their feet under the table um, at the minute. But um, yeah, a little bit surprised that they didn't they didn't try and do a little bit of something um, in in this window, unless the players simply weren't available for them. Um, but I anticipate Burnley to to spend a little bit in in the summer um, and and whatnot. I think obviously with the pandemic, the fact that the the takeovers happened in this time period, I don't think has yeah. helped. Um, so, like I say, I fully anticipate Burnley then to to perhaps strengthen in the summer. But yeah, I'd probably say player wise, uh, a loser, Delhi more than likely, um, and then a club. I'd probably say Sheffield United. I'm glad you mentioned Delhi because he was on my list for regarding play in terms of a loser. Um, like you said, I think he just. To, I think we all know that his best run of games, his best form came under former manager Pochettino. So I'm sure he had those dreams of reuniting back in uh, France with him. I actually think, even though, yes, he lost out on potentially getting back and you know being reunited with Pochettino, I actually think he wouldn't have done a lot at PSG. I think, I don't know, I think it's just the manner in which he is as a player, his personality. I just don't think that would have meshed with the rest of the PSG squad. I think he's an enigma. I actually personally think he's an enigma, not in a bad way, but I think he has that fire that I don't think some of the PSG players can match. But at the same time, I think you argue, obviously, whenever you move to a foreign country, obviously, new club, new language, all of that. So to settle in, um, I think he'd probably be the only person out of, you know, I think it probably less than 10% of the squad, I think, speaks English. Like He could probably, you know, get Mbappe's number and that and chat to him but apart from that apart from Pochettino and him I just don't I think he would have struggled to get used to the surroundings I think in terms of football playing wise I think he could have done the business because I think the French league is obviously much slower than us he could obviously there's more time on the ball um, for him to have and like you said he's a talented player but yeah you could argue that he lost out in terms of him just getting regular game time because we don't know you know between now and the end of the season how important of a figure he will be. So um, another a club, I'm glad you mentioned Sheffield as well. Another club I wanted to mention uh, and obviously get your opinion on, uh, which I'll expand on now, is Newcastle. Now, Newcastle, I think, like, for, you know, for the Geordies listening, um, I think they, they obviously they find themselves at the bottom half of the table and they haven't had, obviously, the best of starts to this season. Um we know that they brought in Joe Willock on loan, which I actually think would be a good addition in terms of their midfield, having an engine to maybe accompany someone like John Joe Shelby, who, you know, sprays the ball about uh, with his uh, range of passing. Um, they, they, they got rid of Rolando Aarons and DeAndre Edlin. Um, but I just think because of the, the bad run of form that they had, I, do you think that they should have used this January window to maybe strengthen the squad or do you think it's more of an internal issue that maybe lies with the manager or yeah that lies with the manager uh well Newcastle the biggest one of the biggest enigmas I think in English football um yeah look the fans the fans don't like the manager the fans don't like the owner the owner the way that's just that's fact like anybody that knows anything about yeah. football will know that um from the outside looking in it seems like Mike Ashley is just He's chilling. 
Um, you know, obviously Bruce is getting a lot of a lot of stick for the way Newcastle are playing at the minute and and yeah. and things like that. So Ashley must be buzzing because they're all moaning at Steve Bruce and not moaning at him for a change. Um, I think transfer wise though, it seemed like midfield was the the area that Newcastle were targeting. Um, yeah. I don't think they they made any secret. They wanted Hamza Chowdhury from Leicester um, on loan, um, but I think there was you know quite a few bits that needed to happen in order for that deal to go through. So I think Matty Longstaff needed to go to Watford, and then Chalaba was going from Watford to Leicester, I believe. Yeah. Um, so obviously that didn't that didn't really happen. Um, you know, I think getting Willock in, decent signing, um, but I just think I think it's not getting I don't think it's sort of the players really at Newcastle um you know I think you know you look at sort of playing styles they've not been they've not been great um I think the fans there when Rafa was there accepted the style of football that they played because that was all Rafa had and he didn't really have the level of investment that Bruce has had um and the backing almost that Bruce has had at Newcastle um so yeah and it was almost like right okay Bruce has come in we want to see something a little bit different but Bruce has almost if you like stayed playing the same way yeah 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 if not worse with a similar group of players and I think actually Newcastle fans are just a bit fed up they just think they want to see a little bit more from from their team um so yeah I think it's I don't think it's more of a transfer issue. I think like, um, I think Maitland-Niles was even, uh, you know, being linked with Newcastle. Yeah. So, but I think they wanted him to kind of come in and replace Yedlin. And, uh, you know, as we've said, I think Maitland-Niles sort of wants to play in midfield. So, yeah, it's a bit, I think Newcastle have still got a nucleus of championship players or good championship players that they probably can't get rid of. Um so yeah, I just think, like I said, I don't think it's a transfer thing. I think it there's other factors with Newcastle at the minute as to why they are where they are. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, I just thought I'd mention them just because they kind of sat on the bench for me regarding whether they lost or won the window. Like you said, it, maybe it isn't a transfer issue. It could be just down to the way that they're playing. But um, yeah. One of them, like you said, like you put it, like you put it best. Enigma is one of the most controversial. But um, now we go back to the winner's side, Wes. Um, one player that I wanted to mention in regards to the winner's side, because now I think I think we've kind of uh, addressed the clubs that have maybe won and lost mm-hmm. this uh, transfer window. But in terms of certain player, you know, movements about, I want to focus on two and get your opinion on them because I really like them as players and I think they've benefited from actually moving away from the club um, as well. So first is Fikayo Tomori, who's gone to AC Milan. Mm. And second, which I only found out today, I don't know how I didn't even see, you know, I saw this morning, is Damari Gray to Bayer Leverkusen. Okay. Now these are two players that I really like. First, Tomori, we saw him come in obviously with Lampard when he came in. I like how you felt sorry for Maitland Niles. I feel the same way for Tomori because I felt as though he was only used the majority of last season because of Frank's restrictions in the transfer market. Frank had to dip into the young players, and it turned out Tomori was there, used him, 
when he had a run of games, we saw how good he could be. I think Chelsea went on an unbeaten run. Um, not an unbeaten run, but I think they had a, they just kept winning uh, a number of games. And I think they had a good defensive record up to, up to a certain point. And Tamori and Zuma, everyone was talking about the relationship at the, at the heart of Chelsea's defence. Now, this season, Thiago Silva's been brought in. Tamori's not even had a sniff. I think he's had a, a couple cup games. Uh, and he's now moved to AC Milan, which I think is a good move for him. People argue that, yes, um, Milan are fighting for the title. Obviously, they're currently first in Serie A. Um, but I think this will be good for him to get a bit more game time. The league as well is completely different. So him being used to the fast-paced Premier League that, you know, that we enjoy and see every week, I think he'll quickly fit in to the Milan side. Um, again, you've got Damari Gray, Gray, who hasn't got a look in really since Brendan Rodgers has come in. And with him going to buy a Leverkusen, I think this is another opportunity for him you know, to be another one of those English talents like Jaden Sancho, who's burst on to the scene in the Bundesliga. So I wanted to get your... You're, you're, what you think, if you kind of agree with me on those two signs, or if you think maybe one of the, just just give me I'll, I'll leave yeah, the I think I think both of them are, are winners in the sense that both out of favour, both managed to get a move. Um, I think the Tamori one's really surprising. Uh, I, I think it's probably the more surprising out of the two, uh, yeah. given that he was in like Chelsea's team uh, last season. I think the fact that they didn't shift Antonio Rudiger in the summer um, has potentially hindered him uh, a little bit because it was almost as if Rudiger was ahead of Tomori in the reckoning at, at Chelsea, yeah. it seemed. Um, so, and then obviously Tuchel has come in. Obviously, I know that deal was done before, but um, yeah, who knows? Like Tomori might come back and actually be a better, more all-rounded defender um, just from being in Italy. Um you know, we all know sort of what Italians are like with, with their defending. So, you know, he, he could come back and be a better defender for actually going out on loan. Um, but great move for him. Um, I think he was almost, I think, again, he was linked with Newcastle actually on loan in the summer window. Yes, he was, um, yeah. So that would have been, a, again, another great, I think another good move for him because he would have played a little bit more. But I think going to AC Milan, I mean, you know, one of the stalwarts, if you like, of European football over, you know, certainly my time growing up um, yeah. and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think Tomori has done well to get that move um, and, you know, credit to, to the powers that be to get that one over the line. Um, again, a bit like you, do feel a bit for him because I think he's a decent defender, but I wouldn't say sort of anything more than that. But, you know, with a good run of games, again, sort of this season, he could have really sort of kicked on um and, and whatnot. Um so yeah, bit he's been a bit unfortunate, but like I say, great loan move for him to go out to uh to Italy and to AC Milan. You know, as you said, a team fighting for the title. Um, you know, he might actually end up winning a title this year. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I think everybody was a bit sort of taken aback by it because you know it was looked like Rudiger was the more out of favour centre half at, at Chelsea uh, as opposed to Tamori, but yeah, great move for him, uh, for sure. Damari Gray. Now, Damari Gray is a player that I like as well. I've liked a lot, even since, even when he was at Birmingham. Um, yeah. I, I really, really liked him and wish that perhaps Spurs had bought him a couple of times. Um, but with Damari Gray, it seems that he, ever since he sort of signed for Leicester, seems like he's been in and out of the team. Like he's Agreed. never, he's never been able to cement a spot. Um, 
in in the team um, or, or anything like that. So yeah, it's been a bit of a strange one. I think he's got great ability. Um, you know, I think you know if you're looking at it now from a Leverkusen perspective, you'll have Leon Bailey on one wing, Damari Gray on the other. Um, yeah. I think, you know, you could definitely think of worse wingers um, to have at your disposal. And as well, they've got Moussa Diaby uh, of, of Leverkusen as well. So now their front line have, have got uh, another option. Um, but yeah, I think Damari Gray has been a bit disappointing. Like when he burst onto the scene at Birmingham, you know, and he got his move to Leicester. I think there was perhaps bigger clubs at the time that were after him, but he chose Leicester. Um, he then obviously won the Premier League and then it's just, he's just stagnated. Um, which is a real, real shame. Um, but yeah, hopefully now he can sort of restart his career over in over in Germany. Um, obviously, he was out of contract in the summer anyway, so I think Leicester have done well to get to get that one done. Um, so obviously they get they get a fee for him. Um, so yeah, no, Damari Gray, uh, a good move um, for him, and I think as well a winner of the transfer window might be Josh King. Um, ah, I, I was just about to get onto him because yeah. I know he he was someone that you discussed as um, even though he wasn't in this year's top flight, um, you argued that he's very underrated. He would have been in your underrated eleven if he was still in the league. So I'll let you go ahead on Josh King. Yeah, to me about um, Josh King. Obviously, it looked well. He came out last summer. Uh, you know, obviously when Bournemouth went down, he had a year left on his contract. Said he wasn't going to sign a new yeah. one. Probably it's such a powerful position, I think, for a player when they come out and do that. They sort of hold all the cards. Um, you know, he hasn't really been used by Bournemouth. I don't. I think there was, you know, West Ham were, were sniffing in the summer, didn't get that one over the line. I think last year he was being linked with United, Man United. Again, that one didn't happen. Um, and I think it's almost like his time at Bournemouth was just, it just sort of ran its course. Um a player that again I really really like because he he's a bit he's annoying I'd say Josh King to play against like he pops up in different areas he's like a he can play up top but he likes to drop in deep um, yeah. in in between the lines um, and he does a lot of unselfish work uh, for for others um, and I think he was he was key to, to you know Bournemouth's. Premier League team sort of ever since he signed um, he was always one that would would play more often than not um, and when he did play he put in some really really good performances scored some important goals uh, for them I actually thought he would probably go to West Ham in this window um, because obviously they they needed a, a striker after selling, selling Haller um, but the fact he's gone to Everton um and it's a deal that's only until the end of the season, I think, is a, is a shrewd bit of business because, obviously, Everton have got Moise Ken out on loan at, at PSG. So, you know, if he comes back, then, you know, he can, you know, after that loan spell, he can come back and give Calvert-Lewin a bit more competition up top. But I think that was a signing that perhaps Everton needed to do in terms of getting in a forward player. But I think the good thing with Josh King is he can play across the front line. Yes, um, of course. Yeah, so yeah. he's got that versatility as well, which I think will will help Everton massively. So I think that one is a is a really really good signing. I'm I'm really happy. I'm really glad that you put Josh King in there. Um, yeah, he's a very underrated player. 29 years old, still has a lot to offer. Um, uh, a Norway international as well. So and he does bring, like you said, that Premier League experience. 
to hopefully help Everton. And um, obviously, we ne- we don't wish for any injuries to happen on players, but you know, worst case scenario, Calvert Lewin goes down, then you've got that cover uh, in Josh King. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you put him in there. Um, in regards to the losers section, we'll, we'll we'll before we finish off, we'll go back to the losers section. Yeah. Um, one player that kind of sits on the fence between winner and loser, but I wanted to bring him up is Josh Madger. Josh Madger has gone to Fulham on loan from Bordeaux, which is something I found out this morning as I woke up. Mm-hmm. Now I found this a bit strange, simply because. For anybody who does not know Josh Madger, he came up from Sunderland's Academy. And the only way I found this out through watching Sunderland's Netflix documentary. Yeah. So for those of you who have not watched that, me and Wes would definitely highly recommend for you to watch. 100%. 100%. Um, what's the name of the uh, show? Sunderland Till I Die. Sunderland that Till one. I Die, yeah. So if, if anybody wants to have a look at a football docu- uh, football uh, TV series, yes, Sunderland uh, Till I we recommend that highly. But that was where I first came across Josh Madger. Um, was highly regarded, I think, at the club. Um, came in, uh, did his performances, and then ended up getting the move to Bordeaux. Now, this season, he's actually scored nine goals. So I actually think he's done well over there in France. So for him to come back in the Premier League, I wouldn't say it's a step back, but in terms of you know me looking at it from Josh Madger's perspective, I'm trying to really understand why would he take that move to the Premier League if he's going on a good run of form, already scoring nine goals in a league that's technically, that is obviously weaker than the Premier League. But if he maybe continued that form, you know, until the end of the season, he may have sanctioned a a better move. I'm not saying Fulham is a bad move. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think um, I'm worried that he may not, I guess what I'm saying is I'm worried that he may not replicate that you know those goals that he's been doing for Bordeaux, and then bring them for Fulham. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see. What do you think about this? In the uh, in the in the words of Thierry Henry, uh, let me talk to you about, <laughs> about Josh Madger. Um, really, really interesting one. This um, because before he was at Sunderland, um, he was actually at Fulham. Um, so he was a Fulham oh, okay, youth, okay. youth team player. So. You know, bonus for him. He knows the place. <laughs> he knows his yeah, way yeah, around. Yeah. Um, yeah, obviously then went to Sunderland, um, you know, from the documentary, did really, really well in League One. A uh, bit of a fun fact, if you like. Um, obviously, Josh Madger was at Sunderland. His contract was running down. It would have cost Sunderland, I believe, in and around the region of about 250 grand to keep Josh Madger at the football club. Um, they then sold him to Bordeaux for... However much that was, I can't quite remember now, but they bought in Will Grigg for three million pounds, rising to four million pounds. Um, if anybody's seen the second series of the Sunderland documentary, you will know that that one goes down to the wire. Um, will Grigg has scored two goals in five years, uh, or no, five goals in two years, sorry, at Sunderland, um, and has then rejoined MK Dons on loan uh, for the end of the season. Uh, Josh Madger this year, or since he's been at Bordeaux, did really, really well. Um, you know, when he, he sort of first got there. Um, but I think this season has been a bit difficult for him. Um, yes, he's got nine goals, but I don't think he's played as much as he would have liked. Um, yeah. So, yeah, for him to come in at a Fulham side who desperately need a centre-forward, they desperately need a centre-forward. Um, the way they play, it seems like Mitro is no longer suited 
to the way that Fulham play um, because I think before it was get the ball into Mitrovic and play off of him. But I think Fulham now were a bit more progressive as a team. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, I think this is a, a tidy bit of business um, because okay. Fulham needed a centre forward. Um, I think they were in for Josh King as well, who would have been brilliant for Fulham. It had been absolutely brilliant. It had been almost perfect for them. Um, but, you know, it looks like Josh Madger was the one that they really, really wanted. Um, and for them to get that over the line, I think is fantastic. Um, you know, he's, he's quick. Um, you know, he, 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 all right, he knows where the back of the net is. You know, he's got experience of playing in England. Just be interesting to see how quickly he can adjust to the Premier League. Cause I don't think he's had too much exposure to the Premier League. But looking at it, you know, from the outside looking in, it was one that, again, Fulham desperately needed that, that centre forward and they've managed to get one in Josh Madger, who is mobile as well. I think he could probably play in a two alongside Mitrovic, but then also play as a, as that main main striker. So, yeah, no, should be a decent should be a decent uh, move. Um, and fingers crossed that that one that one works out really. Um, but and there is a player Nelson for me that has potentially had a bit of a loss this transfer window, and that's Eric Garcia. Um, yes, very Manchester good. Manchester City centre back. Obviously, yeah. he's out of contract in the summer. Strong rumours that he's agreed a deal to go to Barcelona in the summer as a free. Um, but I think he protect. There was rumours again that he wanted to push that one uh, through early. Um, obviously, that's not happened now. He slipped. I wouldn't say he was up there anyway with City centre halves with the with the talent that they've got, but found his um his chances a bit more limited uh this year with the form of Diaz and, and Stones and yeah. Port coming back from injury as, as well. So yeah, potentially Eric Garcia was one that maybe missed out on getting that move um that, that he really, really wanted a little bit similar to to Delhi really. I'm glad you mentioned Eric Garcia. I don't think he was originally on my losers list, but I think Josh Madger just came up like in a split second. So I thought I'd kind of mention him but it's interesting you mentioned like you said really strong rumors like I think it's clear for everyone to see that he wants to go back home um I think he came up the Barca Academy mm-hmm. so I completely understand and this I don't know about you but personally I always feel that there's certain countries so for specific if you come from a certain country there's, there's always you're always tied down to that place I think England's one of them and I think Spain especially in football you see a lot of Spanish players there always seems to be like if they haven't succeeded in a certain league, then they will likely go back to where they came from. Like one person that comes to mind, I hate to bring up for you, is Roberto Soldado. Like oh, Bobby. He, he he came and I think at Valencia he was just he was like I think you guys were gassed when you bought him originally because yeah. I think you know the goal record he had in La Liga was amazing and then who knows what happened? I mean, at this time at Tottenham, we just don't know what yeah. happened. Like, beat down. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still scratching my head with that one, to be fair now. <laughs> but obviously, after that, he's obviously gone back to the Liga. So, um, yeah, you could even argue, if we're looking from an outside perspective out of the, uh, the Premier League, you could argue that because Eric Garcia lost out inside uh, I think injuries really crippled uh, Ronald Koeman so I think Barcelona as well have lost out without bringing 
Eric Garcia uh, to them as well. One more. It isn't necessarily a club or a player, but I actually think it's us as fans. Um, as fans, we obviously like to see the massive blockbuster deal that normally comes, you know, with a transfer window, but we didn't get that, you know, during this uh, January transfer. So I think we're going to have to wait to the summer. Um, it was definitely a quiet window, um, but I think we'll be very excited for the summer because you've got the likes of Messi, Mbappe, Pogba, Haaland, who are likely going to be, you know, in, in the papers regarding moves. Um, so hopefully the summer um, will bring up a whole circus of blockbuster transfers. Um, I wanted to ask you, Wes, um, now looking outside of the Premier League, if you obviously, have you, have you noticed any transfers that have impressed you? Any transfers that have kind of confused you in terms of, you know, winners and losers outside of the Premier League? Um, I think the... I'm not going to try and pronounce his surname because I'll, I'll be here all day, <laughs> but the lad, the lad Dominic from... Dominic from Salzburg going to Leipzig, I think, for about 20 million is a steal. Yes. Um, if you play football manager, then you know about this guy. He's ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a really, really good deal. Um, getting him into a more established league in Europe um, yeah. and playing in a, in, a, in a very decent side um, as well will help. Um, EFL-wise... Now, there is a club that's very, very close to, to my heart that have done some incredible business this January, and that is Milton Keynes Dons. Um, the fact that they... It seemed like they were having a mini fire sale um, with the, <laughs> in the sense... And it was a lot of players sort of towards the back end of the pitch. Um, or, you know, they had Colton Morris on loan from Norwich. His contract was up. Norwich recalled yeah. him, sold him to Barnsley. Um, so and they had the Stephen Walker on loan from Middlesbrough. He then went back and has subsequently gone alone to Crew. Um, they had Richard Keogh, who they brought in on a free. He's then gone to Huddersfield. That was like yeah. an unbelievable deal because um, he was only on a one-year contract. That's sort of been cut early in a couple of week in a couple of months, and still managed to get a fee for him. And that deal is only till the end of the season that he's gone to Huddersfield as well. Um, George Williams uh, going to to Bristol Rovers. Um, Regan Paul went to Lincoln, which was a bit of a surprise for me. Um, and Bailey Cargo, I think, went to Forest Green Rovers. So there was sort of six players that went out and you go in, blimey, what's going on here? Oh. <laughs> um, but the business that they've done has been fantastic. Ethan Laird on loan for Manchester United. Um, you know, when you get, when you're a, a club sort of League One, League Two, and you get a player from, from Manchester United, I think that's always exciting. Um, yeah. Good young player can play as a fullback or as a centre half as well. Probably more as a fullback or a wing back. Um, then they've brought in Matt O'Reilly was once upon a time at Fulham. Um, you know, attacking midfielder. I think that was sort of something that they needed. I think they were a bit over reliant on on Scott Fraser, who was a, another free transfer that they got in the in the summer and has been fantastic for them. Um, they then got Zach Jules yesterday. Um, you know, good left sided, uh, left footed player. Um, you know, I think at times Don's play with a back three with Lewitton as the left-sided centre-back. So, you know, again, really, really good player for that. Um, Harry Darlin as well from Cambridge, managed to get him in. Um, exciting defender, uh, 21 years old. Um, got Charlie Brown in from Chelsea. Um, 
again, uh, I think he's UEFA Youth League all-time top goal scorer or something wow. ridiculous along those lines. So, yeah, another really, really exciting one there. They extended the deal for Andrew Sermon, whose experience has brought in a lot. Um, and Andrew Fisher, the goalkeeper who's come in um, and has been really, really good. And the main, one of the main men, if you like, uh, one of the more stellar, stellar signings is um, Will Grigg. Um, I mentioned him earlier. Um, yeah, I think everybody's buzzing that he's he's sort of back um, and and whatnot. I think even he's buzzing. Uh, said that when when he heard of MK Dons' interest, it was a case of trying to get that deal done and over the line. Obviously, a loan deal there till the end of the season. Um, so yeah, I'm a bit excited for for my local team, MK Dons, because they've done some really really good stuff and they're in a really really decent sort of position considering they're going through a massive sort of transition period. Uh, yeah. nine, only nine points off the playoffs. Um, and oh, okay. still with a lot of football to play. Um, and with those those signings that have come in, you know, you just feel like if they can gain a bit of momentum uh, going into the second half of the season, you know, they could be there or thereabouts come the end of the season. Um, yeah. And obviously had a, a massive win as well at the weekend against uh, against AFC. Uh, so, yeah, I right. think everybody, yeah, everybody's yeah, yeah. buzzing. Everybody's buzzing <laughs> around uh, around Milton Keynes at the moment, uh, Don's fans anyway. So, um, yeah, sort of like they got players out, but then replaced them with sort of good young prospects, if you like, that then, you know, if they play well, then the, the, the club can make a good bit of money on. So, and I think that's sort of where a lot of clubs, League One, League Two wise, are, re- are really at. Um, yeah. know, trying to get players in and then have they got that resale value? Can we make some money off the back of them? Um, but yeah, no, it was almost like scrolling through Twitter and it was like nearly every other day it seemed that there was a new signing <laughs> at MK Dons. They've been busy this window um, for sure. So yeah, I'm excited for them. Definitely excited for them. Um, so yeah, they, that's probably the the two, if you like, that have, yeah. have really sort of caught my caught my eye. Cool, cool. I hope yeah, we'll have to see, like you said, end of the season, nine points off the playoffs to see um, if they can sneak into those playoff spots. Um, I wanted to stick quickly into the EFL and talk about Henry Lansbury, who's gone from yeah. Aston Villa to Bristol City on a free. Yeah. I think that's a good bit of business, knowing you know his quality, what he can bring to that Bristol City side. Um, another EFL transfer, which is actually a player departing from the EFL, uh, is Gerard Delefeu from Watford to Udinese. <gasps> now, <laughs> Delefeu is an intriguing one for me because we all know his quality on the ball is ridiculous. Like, we're talking an abundance of ability on the ball. Um, I, he's, he's, he's someone that, uh, again, I think he's an enigma, but at the same time, like, it seems like he can never stay at a club for more than, like, two or three years. And it seems as though one of those seasons ends up to be like a ridiculous good season. And then the next season is like, he is, he shows a dip in form. Um, obviously when Watford were in, in, in the league last year before they got relegated, he was obviously one of the bright sparks. Um, but I think obviously with them being in championship, you'd expect, you know, him to be one of the players, just like the Corey, when he got his move to Everton, mm-hmm. you'd expect him to be one of uh, the players to, to have left by now. So I think it was about time. Um, I think he'll bring obviously good quality to Udinese. I'm not sure where they are on the Serie A table, uh, but they do. They, they have gone on a good run of form recently. So um, it'll be interesting to see that. Um, 
I yeah, agree with you on that. I think just oh, to touch on. on Watford, sorry, it was just to touch on Watford. Um, they've done some interesting business, I think. Obviously, Etienne Capu went to Villarreal. He did, uh, yeah. Dele that transfer kept someone in the Pozzo family busy with the accounts um, because obviously they own Udinese as well. Uh, yeah. Domingos Kina went on loan to Granada. So again, keeping somebody in the accounts department busy because they also own Granada. But the two that have really sort of surprised me almost was the fact that James Garner's loan got cut short from Man United and he then has gone to Forest because he came in earlier on in the season and was playing really, really well. Um, obviously, we know Watford love to change their manager. So, you know, it's no surprise that that's happened again. But I think obviously he's not played too much under the new under the new manager. But it was a bit surprising because of how well he had played previously that he wasn't yeah. potentially getting that look in now. Um, and then also Glenn Murray, um, that loan deal then again, getting cut short, and he's gone to Forest as well. Um, again, a bit of a, it was a bit of a surprise move for me anyway. Um, yeah. But then again, I didn't see too much of Glenn Murray playing at Watford. Um, so it was almost like, well, why would you bring somebody with that experience in if you're not going to play them? But I think he'll do really, really well at Forest. Obviously, he's got a manager that knows him really, really well in, in Chris Hewton. Um, but yeah, those were the two that sort of surprised me a little bit from from a Watford perspective um, in terms of they've got them in previously, but, you know, didn't, you know, with Glenn Murray, especially not playing him too much. And then with the change in manager, it sort of hindered James Garner um, yeah. and his development. Really good point that you touched on. Um, it's, I, was, I was giggling when you mentioned the Pozzo family and obviously like them owning Granada and Udinese. So yeah, like you said, it's no surprise that Watford have those links um, with with Granada and Udinese. Um, before we wrap up, just to touch on uh, some of the main transfers uh, on price. On, I'm here on the Guardian right now, um, and some of the major transfers that happened was, again, me and Wes do not know how to pronounce his surname, but Dominic Shoalozai, I'm sorry if I pronounced it wrong, he moved yeah. from Salzburg to Leipzig for 22.9 million. Saeed Benrahma moved from Brentford to West Ham United. I think that's a shrewd bit of business from West Ham because we all know Benrahma was a baller at Brentford last season. Nearly brought them up, you know, promote. I think I think with that deal, it was almost get that one sorted so then West Ham could bring in Jesse Lingard. But I think West Ham might live to regret not getting in another centre-forward. Okay. Um, relying on Antonio, I think is. Uh, hamstrings are made of elastic bands or something because they always seem to go <laughs> every sort of five games or something like that so yeah I was really really surprised West Ham didn't get or didn't look to get uh, a centre forward in any way um, Benrahma 20 million uh, you mentioned yeah centre forward again Sebastian Haller moved to Ajax for 20 million again that's a bit of I don't know if that's a bit of shrewd business but then you look at the fact that Dusan Tadic when he went to Ajax has done bits, done crazy things. So I can imagine Sebastian Haller actually doing well at Ajax. You've also got Amad Diallo, signed for United from Atlanta for 18.7 million. Morgan Sanson, 16 million from Marseille to Aston Villa. Nicolo Rivera from Genoa to Juventus. And to top it off, we have also Gerard Delefeu. Those are the top transfers that happened this January. Like we said, no blockbuster deals, but I mentioned some of the names like Mbappe, Pogba, who is uh, been rumoured to leave uh, this summer. Uh, hopefully, there'll be a, more big names uh, uh, this uh, for the summer transfer window. Um, 
But thank you very much uh, for joining us on this episode of the January Transfer Window 2021 special. All that is left for me to say is um, please, again, follow us uh, on our social media channels at WM32Football. And again, uh, the shop is live and direct, so visit us at WM32Football.com slash shop. Thank you, Wes. Thank you for joining me this episode. Not a problem. Uh, Take care. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who tuned in and we look forward to seeing you next time on WM32 Football. Bye-bye. Cheers. See ya.